shooting broadcast a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So this is going to be another exploration into one of my favorite topics, and that is conspiracy theories. But we're going to look at some of the pros and the cons of conspiracy theories, if there are pros. I think pros are they're very entertaining. The cons are they can be incredibly destructive. And it's it's a spectrum for sure, but I've always found them interesting. And we're going to talk about a couple of the big ones, but also... What I, who I have on the, on the show today, I've got T. Krulos. We're going to talk about his book, American Madness, where he follows the history of conspiracy theories, but also follows one man, Richard McCaslin, as he falls down a rabbit hole and the effects that conspiracy theories have on the entirety of his life. It, it's an interesting story, and it's a fascinating topic that I just cannot wait to get into. So, T., thank you so much for being on the show today. So let's start off, you know, it, uh, your, your name's T, right? T-E-A, yeah. this pronounced T. So yep. this is, now, now how did you get that name? Oh, it's an old middle school nickname. And oh. uh, yeah, it's, there's not much of a meaning behind it. I just kind of adopted it as my own because it was unique. Well, I know it's a pen name because you reveal that in your book, American Madness. Yeah. But what I think is, I hope that there's some kind of conspiracy because I met, I thought there was like some kind of like T was, T-E-A is actually short for T, Theodore, and Krulos was like, you know, Krulenstein or something like that. Or right. uh, I don't know if there was like, you know, for the if we're going to build a conspiracy around you and you're a CIA plant, it has to come from somewhere. Uh, right. So I was hoping there'd be some kind of story. Uh, and what I actually love about that is, you know, we're going to get to American Madness and and your time with Richard McCaslin. But, you know, yeah. when you met him, the fact that you had a pen name actually really threw him off for the, you know, for the reasons I just joked about. Uh, did you guys eventually get over that? How did that, how did he kind of deal with that? Yeah, um, it came up because he wanted me to join him in San Francisco for a protest that he was going to do in front of the Bohemian Club. And he said, I want you to be there. I'll, I'll pay for a plane ticket. And I was like, all right, man, I'll, I'll do it. And then he had to know my real name because he needed to wire me the money. And I was like, I immediately knew that this was going to be tricky and that it would throw him off. He doesn't really like surprises. Right. Uh, and he was very paranoid. So something like that, I could see really throwing him off. And sure enough, he asked me a question about it that was really suspicious and this is the funniest response I've gotten to anything probably ever. I said, hey, Richard, you know, it's a pen name. Like, everyone has pen names. Everyone from Mark Twain to Ice Cube. Right. And he was like, all right, I understand. I know what a pen name is. But you might want to choose your examples more carefully because Mark Twain was a member of the Bohemian Club and Ice Cube is a uh, Illuminati. I was like, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> like, Right. Of course, he he finds my answer to be suspicious and finds a conspiracy (laughs) in it when I, like, pulled two random names out of my head. Right. So. I mean, everything's connected. He seemed to not dwell on that too much. Um, You know, we had a very strange relationship where I was trying not to 
encourage him too much. Um, but at the same time, you know, was trying to engage in his life and it had its ups and downs. Like there were times he got angry at me and, um, suspicious of me for sure. I mean, I don't want to get too much, too far ahead of ourselves because, you know, we're talking about Richard McCaslin. You're giving us stories. Well, who, who is Richard McCaslin? Well, he's kind of the protagonist in your book, American Madness. Um, and what I love about this book is it's really a commentary on conspiracy theories in the United States using Richard McCaslin as kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the model for what's going on with people, you know, how people's minds change. And he's, it's just such a great, um, you know, he's, he's really a metaphor, you know, like a living metaphor for what's going on. You've also written several other books, you know, involving superheroes, doomsday preppers, monster hunters. You know, I think you and I kind of have the same kind of interest in different niches and groups of people. And, you know, Richard McCaslin falls into all that. Your book kind of hits all of those things right on the head. Um, But let's, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, before we get into the book, I want to mention a couple things really quickly about you and your history that I found really interesting. First of all, you're based out of Milwaukee. Uh, I went to school in northern Illinois, so you're just north of the Great Cheddar Curtain from from where I was. And my favorite movie in college while in northern Illinois uh, was American Movie. And I was going to ask if you'd ever met or seen the movie and talked to Mark Burchard, but you have because you have a podcast where you talk to Mark Burchard. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that interaction because he's one of my favorite people. That is easily one of my that is easily my favorite movie of all time. Um, and your interviews, he's he's surprisingly busy. I have to admit. Uh, so how did you get that? And what was he like? Uh, he's great. I've known Mark for a few years now. Um, I forget we met at some event, and you know we kind of hit it off. Uh, kind of randomly encounter him around Milwaukee, which is great. You know, I'll go to a coffee shop and he'll be sitting there. I'm like, oh, hey, Mark, how's it going? Um, I'm going to tell you about one of the best moments I've had in life. Uh, I had a day where I was kind of down and out. Uh-huh. Um, I was sitting at a bus stop waiting for a bus, you know, and I was just like having a bad day. Yeah. And this minivan comes barreling around the corner and I hear this voice shout, hey, T, keep the faith, man. Keep the faith, T. <laughs> and I look up, and it's Mark Borshar cruising by. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, that just made my day a hundred times better. Yeah. Just having that experience. So I love talking to him. Um, yeah, he's always uh, busy at work writing in a notebook. Uh, I don't know what he's plotting and planning in that notebook, but right. he's always been very uh, encouraging and supportive of me, which I appreciate. And, um, yeah, he's uh, just well-known locally and you see him hanging around at different parks and coffee shops here in Milwaukee. It's insane because, I mean, if, if people listening, if you have not seen an American movie, go watch it so you can, you know, kind of be in uh, be in the in-group uh, because he is, he's definitely a character for sure. And that, that movie tells it all. Uh, you know, it, what I love about the other things that you do is they're, they're so odd and weird because I came across the Milwaukee Cramp Notch, knocked, knocked, Krampus, Krampus Knocked. I think that's how Krampus you say knocked, it. Yes. Krampus yeah. Knocked Festival. Uh, so what is that? And you, Because you're the, the, the kind of the, the mastermind behind that, right? Uh, I'm the founder of the event and one of the organizers. And um, this started around 2016. Uh, I had been seeing photos and video of these Krampusnacht celebrations in different places around the country. And Krampusnacht, if you're not familiar, is it's this Alpine tradition that comes from Germany, Austria, that region. 
um, where kids are told that on December 5th, if they're good, kindly St. Nick is going to appear and give them gifts. But if they've been bad, then this hideous yak fur covered demon monster, the Krampus, is going to show up and shove them in a bag and hit them with sticks. Um, so seeing celebrations of this started to pop up and I was like, why on earth would we not have one in Milwaukee, which has a very rich German history, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the Germans and the, the beer barons settled here. Um, so we, we put one together and we did it on December 5th, which was a Tuesday. And I was like, well, hopefully, you know, like a hundred people show up to this. But we were at capacity at the venue with 500 people. We had a Krampus parade. We had some bands play. There was vendors set up. Super fun time. And everyone really enjoyed it. So we've been doing it every December 5th, except for last year, of course. Um, And it's become, I really think, like a holiday favorite here in Milwaukee. Well, you know, what I love about it is for some reason, I don't know how or why, but Krampus, like, appeared on the scene, like on the seasonal scene, you know, maybe seven, eight years ago. And I had never heard of Krampus. And then all of a sudden, he's like the most – I mean, it's like he's neck and neck with at least the elves of the North Pole, if not Santa Claus (laughs) himself. I mean, it's like like Santa, Rudolph, the elves, Krampus. Like, you know, it's all tied for third, fourth place. You know, and I love this that, you know, kind of right when that was happening – you started this festival and it's all part of like what's going on out there. Uh, I just thought that was really cool. I kind of stumbled across that, um, you know. Yeah, I think it's a really good antidote for people who get a little sick of like the commercialization of Christmas and hearing like these holly jolly Christmas carols everywhere you go. Uh, it's kind of fun to have this sort of um, more badass right. version of the holiday celebration. Well, you know, and not to make it too dark, but in some ways the holidays can be very dark for people and they aren't yeah. that holly jolly. And so when you see people right. around you, you know, happy and excited all the time, that can kind of bring you down. But if you have this kind of evil character running around, it's almost like Halloween twice a year, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. uh, which, yeah. is, which appeals yeah. to some people, you know, um, oh, and yeah. I'm sure in some way, shape or form, uh, you know, we got the war on Christmas, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, the Krampus invaders, there's going to be some conspiracy built around this. And that's what I love about conspiracy <laughs> theories to bring it back to your book is that, you know, they're, they're kind of about everything. Um, you know, everywhere you look, there can kind of be conspiracies. Uh, I don't want to say that because I got to tell you, I'm kind of an old school conspiracy theorist. I like some of the, the old stuff. I think there's a lot of interesting things to it. But when you came to this, so, you know, when you started writing this book, you know, when you when you met Richard, it seems like you met Richard through your time doing the real life superhero stuff so this i don't want to say it's out of left field but tell me how you know you kind of came to conspiracies and you know where you were with conspiracies with conspiracy theories when you met up with richard i thought that i was pretty knowledgeable about conspiracy uh before i met richard uh, but it turned out I, I really wasn't um i was definitely familiar with the classics as far as when I was a teen, I loved to read books about UFO sightings and stuff like that, uh, which a lot of that is conspiracy because it talks about government conspiracy um, hiding UFOs. X-Files was very popular, so I really love that show. There were these characters on X-Files called the Lone Gunmen, and they were they were portrayed as being, you know, eccentric and kind of goofy, but also kind of like they know the real deal that other people don't. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was kind of my first, like, impression of what a conspiracy theorist was. Like, 
these kind of secretive, strange guys that were piecing together the puzzle. So I, you know, I knew about the JFK assassination theories. I'd, I'd read, um, Jim Marr's book, uh, Crossfire about that. And, you know, I knew a little bit about this Illuminati and secret societies. Right. Um, uh, but I didn't know too much about it. Uh, I was working on this book heroes in the night, which is about the real life superhero movement, which is this unusual subculture of people who adopt their own superhero personas. Right. Yeah. And I was getting out there going on patrol with some of them and, and meeting them. And before I even like really had the, the book coming together, uh, I had done something that I think was really smart, which was I started a blog Mm-hmm. called heroes in the night and i was just you know posting hey i met up with these guys in minneapolis and we went out on patrol and here's what happened and i did like a weekly real life superhero short profile and it was getting picked up by some um news agencies were reporting on real life superheroes and then mentioning my blog and including a link so i started to get some some good traffic and then one day yeah, it's October 2nd today. So this was uh, 11 years ago today. To the day. I did it. Really? Today. Well, yes. that's random. Yes. Okay. Wow. 11 years ago today, yeah. I got a message from Richard McCaslin. And he said, hey, I saw your blog about real life superheroes. And I think that you might have an interest in interviewing me because I adopted my own superhero persona, the Phantom Patriot. Mm-hmm. And I raided this place called the Bohemian Grove and I got arrested. And so if you want to talk to me, I'd, I'd be up for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is this guy talking about? Like, right, I'd, yeah. ne- I'd never heard of the Bohemian Grove before. Um, I was vaguely familiar with what, with what um, InfoWars was, but I didn't really know who Alex Jones was or anything like that. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me try to figure out what this guy is talking about. So I just went to the Wikipedia entry on Bohemian Grove and I was like, what is going on? This is actually sounds like a very weird place. And I I read through that and really fell down a rabbit hole. I started watching videos about the Bohemian Grove and reading some articles. And um, after I got like an idea of what that was, I responded to Richard. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I'm real interesting uh, about how you got into this place and your motivation and stuff like that. And that really um, started a eight year long uh, relationship with this guy where, you know, we corresponded. I ended up meeting him three different times in person. And I really like examined every angle of his life that I could. Yeah and slowly piece together his story, the story of the history of the Bohemian Grove. And then, you know, I think probably around 2015, I started to realize that this was tying into a bigger story of conspiracy in our country, because I was finding that there's a lot of people who might not dress up in a superhero costume and raid a secret society, but there are a lot of people who have very similar ideas uh, that Richard had. There are other people who kind of got pushed over the edge by conspiracy and did somewhat similar 
acts like he did, like the Pizzagate mm-hmm. shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all started to kind of tie together into this uh, bigger story. I think originally I was just attracted to it because I thought he was uh, an interesting individual that had this pretty wild and crazy story. And he sent you like a big packet, right? Like he sent you like a middle folder and with the comic yeah. books he had drawn yeah. while he was in prison. I mean, he kind of gave you like yeah. a press release, right? At least, at least how you describe it. Yeah, that's when I knew. Um, I was like, he said, I can send you a, a press packet is what he called it. Right. And fortunately, I think I had a P.O. box at that time because I don't think I would have been comfortable giving him my home address to send this, <laughs> right? Right. right. Yeah, yeah. So I said, yeah, I got a P.O. box. Um, I'm interested to see it. And a few days later, I pulled this big manila envelope out of my P.O. box. And yeah, like you said, it had uh, his comics that he had drawn in prison. It had some legal paperwork that he wanted to present because he thought that I might not believe it was actually him. And he had a long handwritten letter that describe some of the aspects of his life and when i got this packet that's when i was like i've got a story here mm-hmm. i'm not quite sure mm-hmm. what it is or where it's going to go <laughs> right but, right yeah, yeah, but yeah. there's something here there's something here for sure yeah what i love about that is he's really i mean you have to know right away you have a story. He's such an interesting guy right off the bat. I mean, the Phantom Patriot is, I mean, that outfit is like a cross between, you know, like, uh, I don't know, the Homelander and P- the Punisher, right? I mean, it's yeah. a strange yeah. costume where that, that both is supposed to inspire but also strike fear. Strike <laughs> fear, so yeah. It's so crazy. Um, yeah. You know, but so I want to talk about the Bohemian Grove raid, but I want to just quickly talk about conspiracies because, you know, what I love about conspiracies, number one, you know, I, I'm just going to say it right off the bat. Like, there are some that I find extraordinarily interesting. Yeah, um, sure. I don't. It's hard to say whether you believe them because I do require a lot of proof. But there are some things where if if stuff came out and it was like, oh, this is true, you know, I would say, OK, the, I, I can understand that, you know, probably, you know, I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'll tell you one of the things that I think is the most interesting is the idea that we fake the moon landing, which I bet people here are kind of like cocking their eyebrows, like, what are you talking about? Here's what I mean. If if something came out where they said we filmed the moon landing in a studio so that the Russians would not know what our equipment looked like, but we actually landed on the moon and maybe, you know, the actual audio broadcast from that was sent back, I could believe that. Do I think it's true? I don't know. But especially, sure. I just did a show on MK Ultra, which we'll talk about because that is a real yeah. conspiracy. You know, yeah. that was a real conspiracy that um, caused a lot of problems for people, you know, across the world. Yeah. And it's something that people that they pulled off, right? The American government did actually pull that conspiracy off. So it would not be outside the realm of possibility that that could happen. Do I think it happened? I don't know, right? But that's you know that's what I'm talking about. But here, you know, fundamentally, when it comes to conspiracies, you have to have um, a fundamental distrust a mistrust of the government, you know, which can sometimes lead to a mistrust of science and things like that. But that's fundamental. Obviously, Richard McCaslin had that, you know, he believed the Bohemian Grove, you know, we didn't quite talk about it. We're going to get the Bohemian Grove in a second, but he believed that there were real child sacrifices going on there. He bought into that whole world. But so what do you think about this? I mean, do you think that I'm on the right path or did you see this when you were looking at conspiracy theories and Richard as your example? Oh, yeah. There, there's a lot of different levels of conspiracy. As you mentioned, there are many case studies that are things that probably sounded like conspiracies at the time and might still 
considered to be a conspiracy, except we know that they happened, uh, usually because of Freedom of Information Act requests right. or some paperwork is released showing that, yeah, MK Ultra was a real thing. The counterintelligence program was a real thing. And then there are some conspiracies like you I find to be kind of charming or, or genuinely interesting. Uh, I'm really excited because um, I'm going out to California this month. Uh, oh, wow. American Madness is actually getting adapted into a documentary. No kidding. So, yeah. So oh, we're that's exciting. Doing, yeah, super exciting. We're going to be doing some shooting in California. And I was very excited because for the first time, I've actually gotten a plane transfer at the Denver International Airport. Oh, which, uh, another random conspiracy, cons- <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, something like that I find to be very interesting because it's a lot of it is based on weird art that is mm-hmm. in the airport. Right. So, yeah, yeah. but, you know, I quickly discovered that conspiracy really has this dark side that's, you know, very uh, almost nauseating at times. Like if you mm-hmm. talk about people claiming that the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting was a hoax. Yeah. You right. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's not fun it's not interesting and and then when you find out that the parents of some of these students who lost their kids yeah. are getting harassed by conspiracy theorists it's just you really see that there's a very dark side that you can go to with conspiracy pretty quickly it loses its charm pretty quickly when that happens yes, like almost right. immediately yeah. yeah yeah and unfortunately i mean that seems to be the trend towards where it's going a lot you know yeah what well, you, you know, it's it here's interesting, and this just popped into my head now when you're looking at conspiracy theories. Because I, yeah, as I mentioned, I love them, I, I think they're really interesting. Yeah. Some of the ones, you know, like JFK, I think there's something to mm-hmm. that. You know, we've just seen sure. a, yeah. a UFO report just came out this year, a lot of interest in that. I think there's something going on there, right? But yeah. then a lot of the modern conspiracies, you mentioned Pizzagate, QAnon is another one. The Sandy yes. Hook thing is, we'll get into Alex Jones in a second, um, yeah. but but you know, he. In a lot of ways, when he and others started coming into it, that's when conspiracies really took a diabolical turn. So instead of yeah. focusing our, our mistrust on the government, where like they covered up JFK, they're covering up UFOs, right? You know, as a as a group, we can focus our attention on the government. But with these other ones, you're now focusing your attention on people and it, because our politics is so divided that when you focus it on certain people, you're actually focusing on 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 the American people in general. You know, yeah. QAnon is really it's 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 against the American people. It's not so much against the government, right? And it is, but it isn't. They're both tied very closely, and there's a there's a malice behind that, and it seems to be way more manipulative. Like people have studied the old conspiracy theories; they know that people can get on board follow them down a loop down a rabbit hole and now they can manipulate them and i don't think that was the case with jfk jfk was really a search for the truth and it it still is uh what do you think about that i mean do you think that there's a very divide between you know kind of the older conspiracy theories and ones that have come out in let's say the past decade yeah absolutely um i think like you say there was something to uh those older conspiracies Right. Mm-hmm. In the case of JFK, there's a lot of weird stuff that happened that day. Um, some unexplained stuff and questions that will probably never be answered. Same thing with UFOs. I mean, the Roswell crash 
-hmm. Whether it happened or not, you can see why people would believe that because it had been reported in the newspaper that UFO had crashed and there were eyewitnesses who said that they saw wreckage. They said a fly because I did a, I did a whole episode on this as well. A flying disc was recovered and is being sent to Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Not a right. balloon crash. Not I mean a a flying disc. The government said that. The U the Air Force said that. So I'm sorry. It's that's <laughs> you can see why people would would be confused on that. Yes. Right. Yeah. So um those are interesting to me and you understand why people believe them. Moon landing is another one that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Okay. But when you look at something like Pizzagate, this is a whole theory that was spun out of someone reading these leaked emails in which people mentioned pizza and right. pasta, and they were seeing the secret code in there. That, to me, is not a very compelling way to put together a theory. And a lot of the QAnon stuff is just so off the wall. Like, um, you know, they saw some tents during COVID in Central Park and they spun this theory that there was mole children being kept prisoner underneath Central Park. And there's like no, there's nothing that's compelling or, you know, oh, I can see where they're coming from. It's this very abstract idea about seeing a tent set up in Central Park. So... There's just like not enough, not people who are, you know, uh, really digging into the truth. They're creating this thing that appeals to them because they believe that, you know, this uh, group of people that aren't like them are actually, you know, predatory Mm -hmm. pedophiles eating children whatever right well you know it's interesting because when you think about these these theories right there there's there's two ways to go through it right and i'm curious what you think about this the first thought is what you said where you have people who want to uh, are making these connections maybe they're in the conspiracy world and they they just have are are kind of they have the habit of making these these strange connections and then you know tying it back to other conspiracies or whatever. But there's also this other sense that a lot of these are completely made up to manipulate people to see if you can get them to do what you want. QAnon is in that category because it feels like it was totally made up. You know, I was listening to uh, the guy who created 4chan uh, or 8chan. Mm -hmm. I forget which which one it's on now, but the original one, 4chan, he lives in like, you know, right up the street from me in, in Chatsworth. And he was talking about basically, and this is on like NPR or, you know, a mainstream source. And he, they were saying that he's really under the impression that there was a guy who ended up buying it out who is the one behind QAnon. Which yeah. would make it completely made up, and that 4chan had a history of people creating conspiracy theories in an attempt to find out which one was the most elaborate. It was almost like a, a one-upsmanship, a game to see who could make the craziest conspiracy theory. Now you got two problems here. You know, you 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 do have people doing that kind of stuff, but you also have the whole conspiracy world is in some ways like a religion. You know, I did an episode on cancel culture and one of the comparisons we made was how it's like a religion because it's very similar. You got true believers, everyone else is the opposition, right? You have holy knowledge, as you mentioned, people who the initiated now know these things like the magic bullet in JFK or the cast of characters of JFK, which you brought up, the babushka lady, uh, the umbrella right. man, right? There's this whole, it's a whole yeah. world. And then you have holy books of the conspiracy right you've got uh behold a pale horse which i own right you've got that you've got tons of jfk books 9 11 truth books you know it, it's 
Um, in some of the, in some cases, they are similar to the Bible as well. You know, I mean, a human walking on water is actually more difficult from a physics perspective than an alien driving an anti-gravity flying, you know, ship with stealth technology, right? So you have all of this stuff going on. Um, so I wonder when, when you're looking at all of this stuff and you've kind of, you obviously been doing this for, for a while. Do you see that there are people who are manipulating these conspiracies and creating them out of whole cloth? Uh, or do you see it as mostly people who are misguided and want the truth, but are going about it in the wrong way? Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is it's a mix of all those types of people. Um, you have some people that are probably just trolls and they enjoy making stuff up and being like, let me put this out there and see if people believe it or not. Right. And then you have people like Richard who are true believers and they are ready to believe this stuff because it's reinforcing their worldview. And then you have uh, the people at the top of the food chain who are people like Alex Jones, David Icke, um, the QAnon guys, and they're uh, actually profiting handsomely from this being spread. You know, Alex Jones is uh, worth millions of dollars. Maybe that won't be the case very soon because he's getting more and more judgments against him in court. But, you know, he's made millions of dollars from people going to his website, buying his dietary supplements and his DVDs of his documentaries and stuff like that. So um, he knows that playing that character or whatever he's doing and saying outrageous stuff uh, is good for his bank account. And there's, there's several other people like that as well. You know, um, certainly whoever is behind QAnon and there's some pretty good suspects uh, you can see how they would benefit because um, they're driving people to their websites and making money. So, well, it's interesting because this used to be underground, right? I mean, I'm an AM mm -hmm. coast to coast fan. You know, I love listening yeah, to all that yeah. stuff. You know, that, I, I feel like you're you and I are kind of on the same wavelength there. Um, but when so when you hear this stuff, it seemed like good stories, right? Like when I listen to them, you know, they they do have all the Hollywood you know plot devices. You got you know characters, protagonists, antagonists. You got twists and turns. You know, in some ways, with especially with JFK, you've got alternate theories which create these alternate kind of universes, parallel narratives. You know, you've got all this kind of stuff going on there. Now it, it is absolute when, when like when you hear these stories, you mentioned uh, one woman who claimed to be part of the JFK assassination, but as she was presented with more information on how she could not have been a part of it, then the story ch it just kept changing, right? Because she wanted to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. This seems very much. I'm a pro wrestling fan. I tie a lot of things back to pro wrestling. You know, when I was a kid, I remember thinking to myself, a lot of these coincidences seem kind of. There, there's too many coincidences for this to be real but at the time I, I was a kid you know and I remember the big moment when I was in college where a friend told me look it's scripted you know and it was a big moment for me a realization but then when you go back you're like well of course because everything it's it looks it's it's st structured like a television show like a narrative so that makes sense but you yeah. know that right with this stuff that's how these stories feel which makes it so surprising to me that people are so willing to believe it because in some ways it seems so clearly like garbage but the thing you mentioned you know you mentioned Alex Jones David Icke and all these people what's fascinating about it is it's not just they're making money off it right these people are affecting politics in America they're affecting the way people act i mean the the January 6th riot was largely inspired by QAnon. 
And that's not a small thing. Like, this is not people in their basement. This is not the lone gunman discussing amongst themselves whether aliens have come here or not. Um, this is this is real. This people are taking action on this stuff, and that's what's scary. Um, but let's you know. And, and the other thing I want to mention here, which is interesting, before before we, we leave this, is that when you're in this world, and I actually just watched Behind the Curve to get ready for this, which is a, do, a Netflix documentary on the flat earthers. Yeah. But what's interesting is there's this guy who claims to have started flat Earth, and it's like, well, you know, this was this is a 400 year old theory, but okay, whatever. But you know, when people didn't agree with him. What he said was, is they're a part of the deep state or they're CIA operatives or, you know, then they become part of the conspiracy. So living in the world of conspiracies just allows you to dismiss others as also being a part of a conspiracy, which in some ways is brilliant and insidious at the same time. Uh, what are your thoughts on that before we actually move on to, to the Bohemian Grove and get the story underway? Yeah, I mean, it's really um, beneficial to them because they sort of have an impossible defense to breach because how can you argue with, with someone like that? Yeah, exactly. Anything, any sort of evidence that you present to them, you can be like, hey, you believe the Earth is flat. Here is a stack of reports from NASA. Here's photos that people took in space. Here's an interview with someone that's been to space. <laughs> They're going to dismiss all of that as being fake, forgery, uh, you know, deep state, uh, double agent or whatever. So, you know, there's no argument that you can make. You can't like have a discussion where you're going to sway their opinion because there is nothing you can present to them that is going to be a fact to them. And it's, it's very sad and, and frustrating. Yeah. Well, what the, my favorite oxymoron is that m- the same people who believe that the government is incapable of handling social programs or being able to run the government or balance a budget is the same government who can pull off a worldwide conspiracy right. hiding the existence of extraterrestrial life. I mean, that, <laughs> that's a strange oxymoron. With like thousands of people keeping it a secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Like at some point, someone's going to talk. Um, but let so let's start this whole you know the book and really you know. Um, it starts off with with the Bohemian Grove. Now, this is not the first conspiracy, as you mentioned in your book. Our country started off with conspiracies uh, with King George and all the you know this kind of stuff, which is interesting. But your story starts off here, and this is interesting because this is also where Alex Jones kind of kicks off as well. And I like this as a starting point, an entree into this world. So let's quickly tell me and the audience what exactly Bohemian Grove is, why it's important, and why Richard was so obsessed with it. So um, the Bohemian Club runs the the Grove. They're based in San Francisco, and they really started off as a a club that wanted to celebrate the arts. Mm -hmm. So the original members were writers, artists, um, actors. But then uh, they ran into this typical problem that artists have, which was they didn't have a lot of money. So they started to... Still a problem, by the way. (laughs) Still still always a problem. Classic. Yeah. Uh, and so they developed the classic relationship where they invited in people who were businessmen that would help uh, finance some of their endeavors. Um, and one year they had this party in the Redwood Forest. They didn't have a lot with them, just some blankets and a bunch of booze. And they went up there and partied. And they were like, this is fun. Let's do it every summer. Well, I want to pop in real quickly. So one of the things about that first meeting, from what I remember, is it was just to send off an actor from yeah. California to New York. I mean, it, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, but it's in 1878, yeah. and it was just a send-off. It was just like, hey, let's go party, because this dude's made it, basically, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. 
But but they had so much fun. They're like, you know, we we should do a party like this every summer. They started buying up some land in in Northern California uh, near Monte Rio is the closest city. And it became an annual tradition and the club began to grow and uh, more and more powerful men, it's a men only club, uh, became members, including several U.S. presidents, other prominent politicians, um, successful businessmen, sports team owners and entertainers. Uh, They still do celebrate the arts and they do that by um making certain artists and musicians members of the club or they'll have them as guests during this annual retreat at the bohemian grove um so it's a big uh, 2700 acre campground for rich men pretty much they have cabins um they have entertainment all uh all week they have a two-week encampment every july so the reason that conspiracy theorists start to gravitate towards this is number one you have this private meeting of all of these powerful decision makers right and the grove isn't open to the public media is not allowed in but the other thing that kind of paired perfectly with that was to kick off this july encampment they do a kind of bizarre opening ritual. It's called the cremation of care ceremony. And they have a very tall 40 foot statue of an owl Mm -hmm. called the great owl of Bohemia. It's on this little lagoon. And um, they do this ritual where they come out wearing Druid robes and they like have this sort of cryptic poetry that they recite and they're holding torches. And then they bring in this effigy called dull care which is supposed to represent you know really nagging worldly concerns um and by burning this effigy they're releasing like this worry and they're able to party in the woods and have a good time so um you know it's just kind of a outdated kind of hokey ritual that a lot of clubs did at the time it was kind of like we have this club and we're going to do this kind of kooky ooky ceremony that's like an initiation kind of right but um conspiracy theorists you know they start hey you got all these powerful men this looks like a satanic ritual to me Mm. and who knows that might not be an effigy that could be a real person and uh it just kind of spun from there and now there's all sorts of conspiracy lore about this place and what goes on there well i mean those are those are some big leaps right? <laughs> you know yeah. i mean because often paganism has been tied to satanism and that's the religious through line the religious thread that has existed in our country forever and this inability to separate sa- satanism from well real satanism from pretend you know christian satanism which are two different things and then separating yeah. that from pagan religion so there's a lot of confusion yeah. a lot of ignorance um that allows people to make these jumps which are you know clear in a conspiracy theory but what is interesting about bohemian grove here is that like a lot of conspiracies or at least the ones well <laughs> i'm going to sound elitist here but at least the ones that the ones that i like they all have a nugget of truth oh yeah absolutely and these this does you know you mentioned in the book that 
I think almost every Republican president has been a member of Bohemian Grove. Yeah. Several Democrat presidents, and I think Whigs as yeah. well. You know, we'll go, I think we go back even further oh, yeah. than just Republican yeah, yeah, Democrat. Probably. You know, yeah, um, but but a couple of big things here. Um, there's a famous picture of Nixon and Reagan at the Grove, and I believe it was confirmed that they were discussing who would run for president first, not a small decision. Uh, and um, the future of the Manhattan Project was discussed yeah. there in 1942. Yeah. So there are these things that, are, that those are real, you know, world changing events that are discussed at this place, which to me, that does lead a lot of people to wonder. Conspiracy may be, you know, it's definitely collusion. You know, we can say that in some ways, right? You could jump to that. Jumping to, you know, human sacrifices is is a much bigger leap. But, you know, I can understand, and I'm sure you can as well, how these things get started and makes you wonder, maybe there is something going on here, just not that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like you say, you know, it's a meeting of very powerful people. So, and the talks that go on there are are secretive, you know. It's not something that you're going to see broadcast on CNN or something like that. Um, another one, I didn't mention this in my book because I didn't know, but apparently George H.W. Bush at a Bohemian Grove gathering introduced his son, W., and was like, hey, here, this is my son. I think he'd make a great president someday, you wow. know, and everyone politely clapped probably. <laughs> right. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, I mean, stuff like that happens there. I will say stuff like that also happens on golf courses and all over the place. So I think the only thing that gives it that added mystique is that these are happening in the middle of the forest near this kind of creepy looking statue of an owl. It doesn't help. That doesn't help. I mean, you're right, but this is one, this is actually a rare place where you have so many powerful people, all part of the same group um, alone together in the forest where they're able to make these deals. And you mentioned that there are different campgrounds and that different, you know, Texas oil men are at the hillbillies, you know, campground or whatever. Right. right. I mean, not a coincidence, you know, I mean, you're you're supposed to, I think you mentioned it's an unwritten rule. You know, there's like a a, a phrase that's like spiders make no webs here or something like that. Weaving spiders come not here. Yes. (laughs) So you're not supposed to do this stuff, but, Everybody does, you know, I mean, everyone does. And in some ways, here's the thing that always um, it feels to me like people overlook the fact that, you know, we talk about like Bohemian Grove, Trilateral Commission, Deep State, all these ideas that there's a secret group of people controlling the world. Right. In some ways, it doesn't seem crazy to me because anytime, even if you're talking about a school board or I live in a, you know, in a large complex in Los Angeles where you've got a a residence association, right? You have groups of people that coalesce looking to consolidate their power. Now, why would that change as you have more power and as the stakes get higher? As a matter of fact, it seems to me that you would, that's, that's of course going to happen and it, 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 it's inevitable, right? So I think there are groups of people who run the world because I think that's human nature. You know, do I think that it's a conspiracy that's to, you know, this, that's designed um, out of malice? I don't know. I just think that it happens inevitably. So these types of things don't don't um, shock me. And I think there is a lot of stuff that goes on at the Bohemian Grove, but not the, the sacrificing the, uh, you know, the, the satanic rituals. But to get to your story here, 
that is a key point because Richard McCaslin 100% believed that there were not only were these things going on that children are being killed and that you know he loved comic books as a child he really had the intention of saving people and bringing this to light his intentions were actually very pure uh, which makes his story kind of sad because he wanted to do the right thing but this is what sends him to the Bohemian Grove so let's talk about this because in some ways it's a comedy of errors and uh, a funny um, a funny story that was almost very tragic, but miraculously was not. So let's 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 talk about that a little bit. First, before I get into Alex Jones, I should note because I love this part of the story. Um, uh, the reason that we know some of the things about the Bohemian Grove is because over the decades, there has occasionally been an undercover journalist that has managed to sneak in and observe some of this stuff firsthand. Uh, Not unlike so, like, Eyes Wide Shut, by the way. I mean, I, I don't right, know, like right. a guy sneaks in, has the mask on. Some people know it's not him, but not everyone's sure. Yeah. You kind of walk around, you know, and get away with it. Similar to that, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Like there was a reporter for Spy Magazine, was the name of the publication. And he was the one that confirmed that story with Ronald Reagan. He said, hey, is that true that you and Richard Nixon talked about who was going to run for president? And he was like, oh, yeah, that happened or whatever. So over the years, occasionally people have snuck in. Sometimes they've been unsuccessful. There's been a couple people who tried to sneak in and they were almost immediately caught. Mm -hmm. But some people were able to do that. One of those people was Alex Jones. Uh, that happened in 2000. Um, this is before he was really well known at all outside of Austin. I would have had probably to have been well known in Austin because <laughs> he's pretty distinct. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a meatball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at that point, he was still pretty much just doing a cable access in an AM show in Austin. He did have his website up early. He was kind of ahead of the the curve of other people on that. But anyway, um, you know, he found out about the Grove and he snuck in there in July two thousand. Uh, his assistant was with him and had a camcorder hidden in a duffel bag. Classic. This is before technology was smaller. So <laughs> just imagining him lugging around this big duffel bag. Right, like, right, right. <laughs> trying to discreetly film what's going on. And uh, he, they recorded for the first time ever, I think, uh, the cremation of care ceremony. It's very shaky footage, but you can hear what's going on and see you know the guys dressed as druids holding torches and um of course being an overly sensational person he cut together um this low quality documentary that was called dark secrets inside the bohemian grove and he makes a number of conclusions in that documentary that there's this satanic mystery ritual and He's the one, he's really good at doing the rhetorical question thing so he can kind of cover his ass where he's right. like, who knows? They, they could be sacrificing real people. I don't know. I'm just bringing it up. Right. Some people say. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he produces this documentary. Uh, Richard McCaslin happens to be living in Austin, Texas at this time. And he's going through a really dark period of his life. Uh, he had lost both of his parents. And he was an only child. He had been fired from his job because he went to visit his dying parents. He had these creative projects that were stalling out and just a really rough time. And so I think he was in a bad place mentally. He happened to be watching Austin Cable Access 
and he catches this documentary. And he gets very upset about it because he thinks that they're probably holding um, sacrifice victims in cages in the Bohemian Grove. He kind of sees the documentary and then he spins it a little bit more in his own mind. Like, this is probably worse than he's what he's saying. So he puts together this plan. Uh, he creates a superhero persona, the Phantom Patriot. He very heavily arms himself. He had um, uh, an assault rifle type of gun, a pistol, a ninja sword, a crossbow, a smoke bomb launcher, uh, a knife. Now, I want to point out a couple things here really quickly. So he has all this stuff, but a couple things are really interesting here. Number one, he did this in January, right? So he goes yeah. in January, not not in the middle of the summer. Number two, he moved to Carson City, Nevada um, to yeah. be closer to the Grove because this was a big deal to him. I think he thought this was a one-way trip. And here's yeah. the other key part here, and this is very telling, is that he goes to talk to Alex Jones to talk to mm -hmm. discuss this in person, which is important because despite the fact that Alex Jones got him all riled up, he then immediately disavows everything that he did later on, which is the typical cowardly act of not only Alex Jones, but of people of his ilk. You know, they refuse to take mm -hmm. responsibility yeah. for the actions, the, the devastating actions, um, or at least the things that they inspire. Anyway, I, I thought that was important. So he's got, he's armed to the teeth without question. Yeah, and it's a good point because that was probably the first time that Alex Jones had to deny inspiring someone who went off the deep end, but it wasn't the last. No. It was a pattern. So. It's actually ongoing. I think he's been accused like within well, during this conversation <laughs> yeah, two or three times. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so he has this arsenal. Uh, like you said, he moved from Austin to Carson City just because that was a little bit closer to the Grove. And by that time, he's pretty committed to this idea. So I think he spent a couple of weeks in Carson City, and I can't imagine what that time was like. But eventually, he was like, it's, it's time to go. He gets in his truck with all of his weapons and drives up to the Grove, which was probably like a four-hour drive from Carson City. Uh, he snuck in there at night. So he's creeping around, but then um, with a skull mask. With a skull mask on, by the way. With a skull mask on, <laughs> and he has like this jumpsuit. It's a very homemade, but still very creepy looking costume. Yeah, it's right behind. If, if anyone is wondering, it's right behind. And if you're watching the video on YouTube right now, we got a picture right behind T. That uh, that's the that's the outfit. Like you say, it's not a superhero comic. He, his uh, flashlight runs out of batteries. <laughs> and the, the trees are so tall yeah. up there that they block out the moonlight. So you're in total pitch dark blackness. He eventually finds a cabin uh, that he, he kicks the door in and stays in this cabin wide awake, probably thinking about all the terrible things that have happened to him until the sun rises. And um, so he walks into the grove then. Uh, he doesn't see anyone there, of course. There's no satanic rituals like he thought. But his other idea was that he was going to destroy the great owl of Bohemia mm -hmm. statue. Right. And he thought that it had been carved out of a redwood tree, but it's actually made out of concrete. So he was like, oh, I can't set this on fire. <laughs> so push it over. his plan, <laughs> right, you know, uh, his plan kind of goes off the rails and um, he's like, all right, there's a mess hall over here. I'm going to go light that on fire instead. So he goes in, starts on fire. Um, the fire alarm goes off. 
the sprinklers put the fire out pretty quickly. But then he's like, "Uh oh, I need to, I need to get out of here now." Um, he encountered a. They have a, a full time security guard and maintenance person who live at the Grove year round for incidents just like this. Yes, right, exactly. He encounters them. Um, you know, he thought one of them had a gun in his hand, so he turned and pointed his rifle at him, and then saw that it was just a walkie-talkie. But by the time he's approaching his truck, uh, the sheriff's department has shown up, and they have a very intense standoff with Richard. What's interesting about this is Richard never once took in, into consideration that it's possible that the sheriff's department of the city closest to the Bohemian Grove where the most powerful people in the world meet, or at least the most powerful people in America, they probably have a pretty quick response time. I, I yeah. you know, that yeah. maybe yeah. part of, should have been part right. of his equation anyway. Yeah, I, and he almost died. I mean, he was very close to dying at that moment. You tell a pretty you you paint a really big picture there because I don't want to I don't want to gloss over that because you paint a really great picture where he comes out of the woods and he sees all these troopers around his truck. Uh, they know he's there. They call out to him. He does not he does not come out right away. He has the rifle in his hand, by the way, a hundred rounds of ammo, zero batteries, uh, and he, and he eventually comes out and doesn't give up his weapon right away. Uh, that, I mean, when you see things now, suicide by cop is legitimate. I mean, you know, uh, and I loved reading. So when I was working on the book, I got a couple of things that were very helpful. I got some police reports about this incident yeah. and eventually I got a secret service file, which had all of their information on Richard. You did a FOIA request. There was this, I remember. Yeah. You got it. Right. Yeah. And it took years to get it, but I eventually got it. But in the police report, there is this one detail that I love so much. It said that um, they could notice that the subject was behind the tree and that periodically they would see a, a puff of condensation of his breath right. coming out of his mask in the cold air. Right. And I was like, wow, this is intense, uh, man. Great, some great details. Um, but yeah, and I think there was part of him that wanted to die at that point. So he did have a plan to uh, have a suicide by a cop. But eventually he decides that he's going to surrender. So he kind of stands out in the middle of the road and they're shouting at him to drop his weapon. And eventually he does. And, um, you know, they rush in and arrest him. And he spent the next six and a half years in prison. And following that, he had another two or three years uh, on parole. Well, I mean, it's it's a, a fantastic story. And as you mentioned, you know, he comes out and he's got this. Remember, he's got a, a skull mask on, black jumpsuit suit. It is amazing. A jumpsuit. Almost a Freudian slip there. And it's amazing he didn't get shot. Uh, and, you know, yeah. and that's that's just the beginning of his story, really. I mean, that that's yeah. th that I mean, that's like prologue before your book really gets going. Um, it's an incredible book. I don't, do you have like 10 minutes to stick around and just talk about Alex Jones and the rise of the conspiracy theorists? Is that is that all right? We'll put up a little bonus episode. Of course. Perfect. Great. Well, so how can people get the book? How can people get in touch with you? Uh, social media? Where, where are you on all that? Um, American Madness, you can find it wherever books are sold. Um, a great place to get answers to all that is tkrulos.com, T-E-A-K-R-U-L-O-S.com. That's my website. I've got links to information on all of my books, uh, contact information. I also write a weekly column uh, on my site called Tease Weird Week. So that's the best place to get info on me. 
Perfect. And I'm going to have links to all that on the website so people can find it really easily. Um, you know, this is just an incredible story. You did a great job with it. I mean, this is a very underrated book. I mean, I know it's underrated as far as mass media goes. I know you've gotten several awards for this. But this is a great deep dive into conspiracy theories um, using, uh, you know, one man as a metaphor that I think is very powerful. So, I, I mean, this is a great book. You did a great job with it. So um, it's been an thank absolute thank pleasure you. to have you on the show. So thank you so much for being being here today. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Now, if you like the show, you've got to subscribe. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. And if you don't have a favorite podcasting platform, never fear. We got you covered. You can go to fascinatingnouns.com, scroll to the bottom, and you can find every place you can locate us and find one that fits your lifestyle. Fascinatingnouns.com is the place to go because it is also there that you can find the show on YouTube. Yes, we have a live video version of the podcast now on YouTube. YouTube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn is where you find it. And that is not the only place where you can find the show on social media. We got links to our shows, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and of course, Instagram right there. Fascinatingnouns.com is the place to go. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.